Welcome to our last presentation for Business 121. Oh, it's we've come such a long way, dear students. I'm so proud of you. Let's get started, though. <coughs> Excuse me. Slide number one. By 2030, 76 million baby boomers will have retired. Only 46 million Gen Xers will have come up to replace them. Interesting. This is, we'll deal with this in, in a bit here, actually in our next presentation. The oft-heard lament of senior citizens, citizens is, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have done things a whole lot differently. Which is why you're taking this class, because <laughs> hopefully you'll, you'll um, do the financial things that bring good financial well-being and health. And do the physical and mental things that bring good physical and mental health, too. Because, as we saw, the uh, health can, can cost you a lot of money if you don't have good health. But let's continue with retirement estate planning. My apologies. Slide number two. Why should you think about retirement planning now? Well, the big reason is that eventually you're going to get old. <laughs> And many people just procrastinate. I got plenty of time. I got plenty of time. And then they're all of a sudden 35. And then all of a sudden they're 45. And now it's a little late. Yes, as we saw, time is on your side when you're young. And when you get older, right? People are spending more years, 16 to 20. Sound like a test question, 16 to 20 years. In retirement, yes. We're just living far longer. A private pension and Social Security are most often insufficient to cover the cost of living. And we ask the question, what private pension plan? These pension plans are disappearing. That's right. Inflation may, no, not may, it will diminish the purchasing power of your retirement savings. As we said, 24 years ago, if you inflation goes at 3%, which it basically has. There was times it was a lot less than that, a little bit more than that, but last few years it's been going around 2%. If you go back 24 years, you'll find that things have basically doubled. And not all things, you know, certainly computers haven't. That's because of technology. Houses depends on where you are, but the one item to look at if you really want to see inflation are cars. They seem to go up exactly the same as inflation. So you got to compare the same car that, you know, whatever car you would buy today has to be basically the same car as it was 24 years ago. And you'll find that it's basically twice the price. That tends to be very, very um, constant. Now, we had some high inflation in the late 70s and early 80s, but that was the exception, not the rule. So think about in uh, retirement now because of 16 to 20 years is where you'll be leaving some living a whole lot longer. In slide number three, we, we, we discuss estimating retirement living expenses. Well, spending patterns will change. Some expenses may go down or stop. You know, Work-related expenses, maybe you don't have to spend as much on clothing. Hopefully housing will go down if you've been paying off your mortgage. Income taxes will go down. Why? Because you're making less money. But other expenses will probably go up. Medical, medical, health care, health care. 
Yes, dear students, that's the one thing that scares me. Everything else I'm not worried about, but what the tricky car wild card is healthcare. Gifts and contributions. Some uh, cultures, some families, it's just, you know, that's just what the grandparents do. They, they, they uh, give gifts to, so that the, kid, the grandkids can go to private school. Leisure, well, not a whole lot of that going on these days, is it? Cruise ships and, tra and, uh, and, uh, and uh, flights to uh, Tierra del Fuego. <laughs> yeah. Inflation will raise the amount you need to cover your expenses over your probable, what is it? 15 to 20 years in retirement. Don't get that one wrong on the exam. Okay, all right, good. Slide number four. Here, according to the Department of Labor Statistics, I'm sorry, statistics, is how the average, whatever that means, 65 or older household spends its money. So notice that 30, fully 32% of it is on housing. Well, we certainly hope that goes down for you. If you buy something and you're young, you know, in your 30s and you've been making the payments, hopefully exactly you'll have property taxes to contend with. And of course, HOA fees, maybe certainly uh, insurance and, and, uh, and utilities. But hopefully that mortgage will uh, be gone by the time you're ready to enjoy your golden years. Transportation. I hope this goes down, too. I'm really pushing. I mean, I'm not pushing. I'm not involved in the industry, but they're working on it, folks. They're working on driverless cars. And so probably you won't need a car in your in your retirement. You could just call it up on your cell phone. Of course, there's the pandemic related <laughs> worries about getting in a car with a stranger. But oh, well. And this 12% for healthcare, I don't know about that. It might be a lot more depending on your situation. But the, um, think about it, folks. Um, it doesn't really change that much, does it? It looks like this is this is typical for, for many households. This is they spend about, you know, a sixth, maybe, maybe sometimes more on transportation on the car, spend about a seventh on food and one third on housing. Planning your retirement housing on slide number five. Consider the cost of living and taxes. Many people say, I'm going to leave California. It's so damn expensive. And then after 20, 30 years in their house, they want to stay there because it's no longer a house. It's their home. And the statistic is that six out of seven people remain in their homes until such time as they you know, take a carted off to the hospital or maybe hospice for the last couple of months or so. But people tend to stay in their houses. So you might say, well, how come the retirement houses, retirement living and the, and the, um, the, uh, the, the skilled nursing and the like are bursting at the seams? It's because there's just so many of us old folks. It's just the old, because, because of the baby boom, right? The baby boom, you know, some of you, don't you don't really know why it's called the baby boom maybe well it's because after world war ii there was a baby boom uh health being what it was most kids now lived whereas before that you know 100 years before that a lot of kids died so you might have six seven eight kids and only four of them survive yeah well now you have six seven eight kids all of them survive indeed um Reverse mortgages. Ooh. <laughs> There's a lot of bad blood with these things, folks. 
uh, be careful. They're hawked by celebrities. And if you, if you are, if your grandparents or parents are looking at these, find a trusted financial advisor or possibly even a lawyer to look at the deal that they're offering because there are horror stories. There's one at least linked to a horror story in the uh, prison, uh, in the, uh, in the, on the class website and in Canvas. So take a look at it. Now, uh, these retirement communities are actually pretty cool. I don't know if you ever visited one, but they have cert they have levels. Some people are just basically in on their own. You know, they take they do their own uh, cooking. They they clean and do their own laundry and have their cars. And they and these all these uh, retirement communities offer increasing levels of care. If you don't want to make your food or can't. Uh, you can go to a cafeteria. You can even have it brought to your home. You can have they have a of course health of course healthcare professionals. So I was really impressed because because of my um, step no my step my, my mother in law was in one that went all the way from independent living all the way to skilled nursing and and it was a pretty pretty well run joint. Some people will decide to relo relocate. As we said, some people want to get away from California, but be careful. Rent for a year or two because it's very difficult to come back to San Diego after you sell the house. Yes, I would rent the house out first and then rent where you are going. Maybe you're going to you know, Tucson area, which is absolutely beautiful, but have you been through their summers? Right. Maybe you're going up to the Pacific Northwest and Sometimes it's absolutely gorgeous. The rest of the time it's raining. <laughs> so you just don't know, right? And more. So wait wait a year or two. And then, okay, yeah, we like it here. And we'll sell the place back in San Diego. And then pay off the place here and have money in our pockets. More and more Americans are retiring abroad. Costa Rica, anyone? Baguio in the Philippines? Mexico? Ecuador? Southern Europe is popular. Portugal is supposed to be absolutely beautiful. Well, people think that if they move out of the country, they don't have to pay federal income taxes. Wrong. You're still a citizen unless you for you know unless you give up your United States citizenship, which I don't recommend. But people are doing it. Uh, you don't have to pay the California state income taxes, but you still have to pay the federal income taxes and. Healthcare is an issue. Some of these places have very good healthcare, but if you don't sign up for Medicare or if you cancel Medicare, you come back. Medicare is not going to say, okay, all is forgiven. No, 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 no. They're going to want you to pay back all the years that you didn't pay into the system. It will be expensive to rejoin. Okay. And that's what happens often. And that's why places love retirees. They love retirees because they often come when they're in good health. And then when they're in bad health, they go back to the <laughs> Yeah, so they go away. Uh, but uh, that's, just, that's just the way it happens. Florida is famous for this. People going from the northeast or the mid Midwest down to Florida for their good retirement years. And then when they get sick, they go back to their uh, their home state. How about your retirement income? Well, social insecurity, I'm sorry, social security. You will hear people yell and scream and say that your social security is going broke. Dear students, social security is not going broke. It has a long-term issue 
Whereas, uh, I forget what year it is, but you know, by 2034 or something like that, the, uh, the trust fund, the Social Security trust fund will be eaten up and then there'll be only 70 some percent, 71 or 72 percent of the money coming in to pay off the workers. So it's not going broke. Um, Medicare is going broke, right? <laughs> but not because Medicare is not well run. It's because we're just living longer. We are spending, as we saw back in Chapter 9, a, a, a tremendous sum of money on health care just because health care is getting better and more expensive tests, and we're just living longer. So um, will we fix the Social Security problem? Yes, we will. And in our next presentation, we have a little fun with the time bomb that is the baby boom generation but it's happening now and it seems to be well we have some serious issues to deal with but it seems to be that we're dealing with it the problem with social security was that when it was created this is back in the late 1930s and, and into 1940 it was never meant to be the sole source of retirement income you'll hear people say well i'll just depend on social security Wrong. It was meant to be one leg of a three or four legged uh, uh, retirement income uh, uh, puzzle. And so people are in for a very rude surprise. They haven't saved anything going into their 50s and now they're looking at their 60s in retirement and they look at what Social Security is going to give them and they go, uh oh. And I got to tell you, folks, I met some folks down in Mexico that were living very comfortably on their Social Security that they could not do here in the United States. Morelia, which is a beautiful city. It's like it's, it's like going to Europe. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it's only not even three hours away by, by plane from Tijuana. And it's gorgeous. And I met several. I forget how many. They were all at the place I was uh, taking English le Spanish lessons. They were taking Spanish lessons. And, of course, there was a lot of Mexicans taking Spanish English lessons. Um, so... Think about it. Retiring abroad. Full retirement benefits at age 65 to 67, depending on the year you were born. And we'll take a look at that in a minute. But confidence in Social Security is low. In fact, younger folks will say, I have a better chance of seeing a UFO in my lifetime than a Social Security check. Well, you're not going to see a Social Security check because it's all electronic now. But you will get Social Security. And people would say, oh, it's going to be bankrupt. I say, well, look, do you think this United States is going to be around in 30, 40 years? And they say, yeah. Well, Social Security will be around. It'll change like everything else. But it's not going away, dear students. Although some people would like it to go away. I don't know why. They, It's been a very actually good system. It's not perfect. Nothing we humans have ever created is perfect but it's actually worked pretty well for many many people the key is not to depend on it for your sole source of retirement income that's the key so don't let that myth get in your head or if you hear anybody say it just say no that's not right and they'll they'll look at you funny and say i guess i better save some money and they you go yes you better save some money see here it is folks when it was designed Full benefits were at a little over 65 years. And what we see between 1938 and 1960 is that it, they raised it just a couple of years for full benefits. 
Hmm. Are people living just a couple of years longer than they were? No, we're living far longer. So there's a disconnect here, isn't there? Yes. Slide number eight. Okay, there are two types of pension plans at your employer, typically. And so on the whiteboard in the classroom, I would write defined benefit in one side and defined contribution in the other side. So write defined benefit. And, you know, most people won't call it that, but I want you to remember that most people call it a pension or a traditional pension plan, but it's a defined benefit. And what does that mean? The employer will pay you a certain amount per month when you retire based on your pre-retirement salary, the number of years of service and your age at retirement. And that's what we teachers get. Uh, you might have heard of Cal STRS or STRS. And public employees get CalPERS, the public employee retirement system. STRS is state teacher retirement system. And when I started teaching a million years ago, I took a 20% pay cut, right? But when they pay and they handed out all the materials about what your, you know, what your benefits are and what your pension plan, I looked at this thing and I said, you know, this ain't bad. <laughs> it's certainly a whole lot better than what, you know, um, um, businesses would give you. Of course, they're not giving you that anymore. But you remember, I took a 20% pay cut to leave the industry and go into, into teaching. So it, it would, that was the deal that they were giving you. They're saying, look, you know, we know teachers are not going to make as much as you could with the same skills out in the industry. So we're going to you know, give you a good pension. And it is a good pension. Thank you very much, Sturs and Southwestern College. Now, you might hear people yell, scream up and down that we have all these unfunded public employees, teachers' retirement systems, public employee retirement systems, and they are absolutely correct. There are many problems. Some are worse than others. But again, it's not because they're not well run. It's because we're living longer. We're just, you know, it's just people used to retire at 62 and die at 64. Or maybe they made it to 65, but they didn't last very much longer than that. But now 70 was, you know, that was pretty darn good. But now 70 is big deal. People are living into their 80s, their 90s. So that's the issue. Now, will some of these uh, employee, um, public employee um, pensions have to take a haircut? I think so. I think it's going to happen. I don't know how. Let's hope it happens orderly instead of some demagogue getting in and saying, we're just not going to pay them. We're going to take that money for ourselves. We voted one out one out of office just recently. Thank you, but uh, but it's going to happen. How it happens? Let's hope it happens orderly, and we'll see what happens. But you know, you other you have other people saying, "No, there's no way. No, don't touch my pension." Well, guess what? <laughs> yeah, the the taxpayers are eventually going to revolt. They're going to say, "No way." Now, one of the things, if I might diverge. This it's, it's not like the the politicians don't know this, folks. They know it. And it was Jerry Brown, who was our previous uh, governor, who, wow, I forget, over, you know, when he got in, he said, we got to deal with this now. Don't wait, because that's what a lot of politicians like do, just kick the can down the road. And he sure enough um, a de uh, brought down some, you know, not a whole lot, but he brought down uh, some of the benefits for new retirees, retirees not, I'm sorry, new employees. So if you were in the system before they made the changes, you get to keep it. And then he had the teachers starting to 
increase their contribution, the school districts increasing their contribution, the state increasing their, increasing their contribution. So we're going a ways towards fixing it, California. Other states are in good shape. Other states are in bad shape. So we'll see this, we'll see this um, play out over many years from now. Now, what about the employer? The employer, in this case, that's it's not really the school district. It's done at the state level by the STRS group. But the employer, say you're working for a steel mill or a car company, makes the investment decisions for your and their contributions. But your benefit is defined. It stays the same regardless of how the investments perform. Unless the fund goes belly up, which is what some of them did, some of those steel mills, uh, disappeared and the pension fund went belly up. And what happens then? Well, then an insurance program run by the, the federal government that the pensions pay into takes over. But people often don't get what they were promised. <laughs> Slide number nine. OK, now this is what's taken the, the, the defined bench benefit plans place. The def traditional pensions are being uh, moved into what are called defined contribution plans. And there are a few different flavors, but the one that you hear the most about are the 401ks, 403bs, where you put money in, usually pre-tax, although, um, although you can also do post-tax now, and your company often will match, that's the 401ks, 403bs, that's for us public employees. No, they don't usually match those. The employee contributions are tax deferred unless you have that Roth option that we'll discuss later on. Now, uh, there's a few others, the money purchase, stock bonus, the profit sharings, but you hear the most about the 401ks. We go to the IRS and we say, you know what, IRS, this is not the best name. People don't know what 401k means. It's actually, that's the section of the Internal Revenue Code that allows companies and and uh, other entities like school districts and hospitals that are public, you know, nonprofits to create these these plans. And if you do what you're supposed to do and the company does what they're supposed to do, the IRS blesses and kisses and says, OK, you don't have to pay taxes on it. The IRS says, well, yes, we also call them salary reduction plans. Now, isn't that what you want? Don't you want your salary reduced? Oof, IRS. I would call it the most fantastic, fabulous, wonderful way to fund your retirement available. Because some of them are, and some of them aren't. But still, even when the ones that aren't that good are still pretty good. So, especially if your company matches the money. Now, why would they do this? Why would your company match? You know, you put in 100 bucks, they put in 100 bucks. You put in 100, they put in 50. Well, because they don't want the defined benefit plan. They don't want to have to deal with you any longer. They want you to go away. And the truth is, dear students, if you invest prudently, consistently, wisely with an eye toward long-term growth, just as we have emphasized over the last few chapters, you have the possibility to have a great retirement, something much better than anything the defined benefit plan would give you because those are meant to be very conservative. In fact, there, some of them were way too conservative. 
So you don't have to be that. You don't have to. Some of them would do not do any stocks whatsoever. They would only do bonds. Now bonds are not paying much at all, right? And stocks are volatile. You found that out. But if the world doesn't end, you should do okay. However, now that the you know, onus is on you, they've put the the um, the uh, the responsibility of your funding your retirement squarely on your shoulders. You have the possibility to royally screw up. How? Well, first of all, many people don't even contribute. They just don't even bother. They just think, oh, I got plenty of time. What did we learn? Time. You want time to your advantage. You want to start early. Or they do what some people do. They wait for the market to go up 100% and then they go, ooh, 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 is it too late to get in? And then it drops 50%. They take all their money out and they go, oh, is it too late to get out? And they wait for the market to come back 100%. And then they, and that's not going to be you. And if it is you, if you feel that tug, that's when you call Frank or send me an email and I'll sit back and give you my talk them off the ledge talk where we say we've been here before. You know, we're going to come out of this. Oh, stocks are pretty expensive right now. Just keep putting your 50 bucks, 100 bucks. Don't mortgage the house to buy Apple or Tesla. Oh, yeah, good. OK, good. So the news is good. The news with these defined contribution plans is very, very good. Now. Let's estimate our retirement living income, okay? There are many of these calculators. Here are two of the better ones I've found, but there are dozens of these things, and mostly what they are, folks, are marketing tools. Even though they're done, you know, without that premise, they you go through all the, put all the numbers, and then at the end it says, hey, you really need to save more. Hey, want to talk to one of our <laughs> representatives? Which is, you know, fine that they're trying to make a buck like everybody else. But the idea is many people are just not saving enough, right? And we know that. We know that. And remember the longevity calculator? Well, I don't think it's going to work for long, dear students, because it still uses Flash. And if you click on that link, you your browser might not do anything. You might have to go in there and say, I want you to enable Flash and I want you to allow it for this website. But pretty soon, I think, on my understanding, they're going to get rid of Flash altogether. So you'll have to find some other longevity calculator out there. I, and if you do find one, send it to me, all right? I got to start looking, too. Uh, Social Security will send you the estimated benefit statement upon request. They used to send one to you every year, three months before your birthday. But they don't seem to be doing that anymore because I haven't gotten one in a long time. And I'm over 30. I mean, I'm over 60. <laughs> I'm over 30, too. So uh, check out what Social Security says they're going to be paying you. And realize it ain't enough. Right, <laughs> right, right. Slide number 11. Okay, so now on the board is where we start writing the types of retirement accounts. And there are two basic types. Put two, maybe two categories on each side of the page because you want to study this. Pre-tax and post-tax. Sometimes the pre-tax is called before-tax. And sometimes the post-tax is called after-tax. So, But they say they work basically in two different ways. Either you're taxed uh, uh, now, right? You, I'm sorry, either you get a tax break now, and that's what I was trying, looking at and saying in different things here. You either get a tax break now or you get a tax break later. So how does this work? 
all of the 401ks, 403bs, 457s. I think there's a 401a also. The Thrift Savings Plan, which looks like a 401k, but it actually has its own um, own um, code in the Internal Revenue Code. But it's basically a 401k. The traditional IRA for everyone, the SEP, the simple, the key. Oh, I love that name, key. It reminds me of the Wizard of Oz. Yo, he, yo, key, whatever. They all work the same way. You get a tax break now, and you get to deduct the contributions from your income tax. Very, very cool. And then you pay taxes in retirement, typically when your taxes are lower. Okay, that makes sense. Well, along comes a gentleman by the name of William Roth, who he, they weren't going to call it the Roth IRA, but he's the one who championed it. He was a senator in the in the in the in the senate that's where senators are in the senate and he was in his 70s when he was working on the 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 post-tax contribution ira and he was jumping up and down and screaming about this because he was having to make withdrawals from his traditional ira because he was over 70 and a half they moved it up to 72 and so he made sure that the roth ira does not have those mandatory uh, withdraws. So you, you can keep putting money in a Roth IRA even if you're 70 or over, which you I don't think you can. It's, well, I think it's up to 72 now, but you weren't allowed to do that for your traditional IRA. So um, so how do these work? Well, you don't get a tax break now. Ooh, but what do you get later? <laughs> all the money you put in is tax-free. Well, that makes sense. You already paid taxes on it. But all the earnings and the compound earnings upon the earnings and, and earnings upon earnings, they are all tax-free. Very, very cool. I'm a big fan, and we'll, we're going to reiterate this, of the Roth IRA, dear students. So let's take a look at this slide, which uh, is trying to show you that there are two major types of accounts, taxable accounts and what the IRS calls tax qualified accounts. Now also educational savings accounts, medical savings accounts, health savings accounts, they go in this lump in this area here. We're only talking about retirement now. Now what's going on here? The Congress said, look, in a taxable account, also called a regular account, you can put as money, money, much money as you want. You want to put a million dollars, go ahead and put a million dollars. All the contributions are post-tax dollars. There's no limit on your investment type. That's why we, it's supposed to look like a bucket. I don't know if it looks like a bucket or a bin. There's no limit on the investment types. You can put anything in there. The things we talked about, stocks, bonds, real estate, cash, mutual funds, but also other types of investments, which I hope you stay far away from in hard assets. It should be, there should be a line through, but it looks like it's kind of dotted anyway. Uh, those stay away from those. Stay away from those. I just read an article about a guy who, um, has $2 million collection of Batman comic books. And a few years ago, somebody stole it. And because it was such a famous collection, as soon as that person tried to sell them at a place somewhere in Arizona, they were caught. But he got it all back except for one. They took like 500 comic books, got them all back except for one. And now the guy's selling them for $2 million. Yeesh. Wow. So, uh, but that's, you know, that's one out of several million people who, who, who collect um, comic books. So here, no limits on contributions, no limits on investments, pay taxes every year, except stay away from the scary stuff, the options, futures, margining, 
selling short. Here are the ones we're talking about today. Retirement accounts. And notice, the Congress says, stocks are risky enough, dear students. Mutual funds, what most people put, cash, short-term investments, bonds. There is a way you can sneak gold coins into our IRA. You have to buy United States gold coins. But still, the idea is that we have strict limits on the investment types. We have strict limits on the contributions. You can't put a million dollars into your retirement account. Um, you can only put you know a certain amount every year. And then... They are tax deferred, except for the Roth, which is the other way around. You pay taxes now and then don't pay taxes later. And although there are many subtle and not so subtle differences, the major differences are how they are taxed by the IRS, how much money you contribute, and what you can have in the account. You put in a regular account, no limit, you get taxed every year, and you can uh, choose any kind of investment. You put in a retirement account, there's a limit on how much you can put in, there are strict limits on your on your investment types, and you either get a tax break now or you get a tax break later. Got it? Okay. So now let's talk about the most popular personal pension plan, retirement plan, the individual retirement arrangement. Wait a minute. You're telling me that IRA stands for individual retirement arrangement? Well, legally, yes. But you won't hear anybody use that except for the IRS. Everybody else calls them individual retirement accounts, okay? So, oh, well, that's a sticky point, whatever. Anyone, anyone with earned income, if you if you worked at all, now this is not talking about uh, you know passive income like dividends or rent, that doesn't work. It has to be, or you have to have a job. Self-employed is fine. There's some, there's some uh, confusion because there's a part of the Roth IRA where you can't contribute if you make over a certain amount. And people think that's true of the traditional IRA. No, you can make a million dollars and still put money in the, in the traditional IRA. Up to $6,000 per year currently. And if you're 50 or over, you get to add an extra $1,000. But you remember that from Chapter 3, maybe? Maybe not. That's okay. All I wanted you to do was do the research. Contributions are normally tax deductible. Here's where the confusion comes in. If you have a defined contribution plan, 401k, 403b, whatever, at your work, and you make over a certain amount, depending on if you're married or single, you can still contribute, but they are not tax deductible, which means you have some after-tax money in your IRA and some pre-tax money in your IRA. Which isn't a big deal, but you got to keep track of that because when you go to take it out, you don't want the IRS to say it's hey, it's all taxable. No, 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 I paid, I paid taxes on some of it. You understand? They call it for some odd reason your basis. How much did you put in that was after taxes? And you have to keep track of that, which means save the last, the end of year statements from your IRA. As we said, the contribution limits are six thousand dollars currently for twenty and twenty 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 and twenty twenty one. And if you're 50 or over, you get to put an extra thousand in. And that might be going up soon. There was some talk in the, in the, in the Congress about that. We'll see what happens with a, a Biden presidency. But unless you, okay, yeah. So notice that these will increase with inflation. It used to be 1,500 a long time ago, then 2,000, and then 3,000. It went up uh, over the years, up to now $6,000. And as we said, your investment grows tax deferred. You pay the taxes on the money as you withdraw it once you're retired, and this is normally at age 59 and a half. Once you turn 70 and a half, now it's 72, 
you must start taking the money out. Now, I don't know why they do this. They're going to get their money eventually. Somebody's going to pay it. But I guess they don't want people to sit around and go, oh, I'll save this for my kids. No, it's your money. You eat it. You go out and eat well. You go out and and um, and eat well and, and spend it on you. So I don't know. Maybe maybe they just want their money sooner than you, than when you croak. But still, they're going to get their money. <laughs> so be careful about this because the penalties are huge. The penalties are immense if you don't take that money out. Now, I've had people come to me who didn't do it for a few years. And I said to them, you know, you really need to start doing it. And then they started doing it. And I don't think they, eh, the IRS ever came after them. I'm sure in the IRS they know this and they go, this is horrible what we, what we do to elderly people. So I don't know. But don't tempt them, okay? <laughs> Find out. And, and now mutual funds and other uh, brokerage firms, they'll send you a letter. They know how old you are. They'll send you an email or whatever saying, you know what? You better take this money out or you're going to be in trouble. And they're not allowed to give legal advice or retirement advice. They'll just say, the penalties are very, uh, you know, very strong for people who don't take it out. They won't say, you have to take it out because then they'll, 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 they'll be getting in trouble. But um a lawyer or another tax professional is who is is allowed to give you tax recommendations and legal recommendations. Right? Financial advisors are not allowed to do that. Literally, they keep jumping up and down, screaming and hollering that we should never give tax advice or legal advice, which makes sense, you know, legal advice, but tax advice. We can say, you know, there are mandatory withdrawals and you're up for a mandatory withdrawal, but we can't say you need to take it out because that's that, that crosses the line. But people usually go... Yeah, so should I take it out? And then you can go, well, I'm not supposed to tell you, but I sure would do it if, if <laughs> you understand. There's a, there's, a, there's a gray area that I'm sure that we cross sometimes, but you know, we're trying to you know, trying to keep these people not run afoul of the IRS. Okay, so that's the IRA. And then the IRA has many cousins, like the 401ks, the TSP, the 403b, the SEP IRA for self-employed people, the simple IRA for small businesses and self-employed people, the simple 401k similar to the to the SEP and the and the uh, simple self-employed. And these have their own limits. The, uh, the look at that look at that that's something hum it's nineteen thousand five hundred and that's one of the things we asked you back in chapter three to look up extra sixty five hundred dollars if you're if you're fifty or over if you're uh, self employed you can do twenty five percent of your of your earnings I think up to like fifty thousand dollars or so and then the simple IRA which is a lot easier than the SEP but don't have to worry about certain things but that's thirteen thousand five hundred I mean that's still a lot of money folks I mean. You put $6,000 away into a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, you're doing pretty good. But this 13000 19000 you do that for a few years in your 20s. You know, Say one of you works, um, both of you work full time, and one of you works for a place that has a 401k or 403b. That person's salary, much of it goes, or most of it goes into the 401k. The other person pays the bills, and you do that. For five years in your 20s, and you'll never have to put another dime away. Now, you should still put money away, but people don't believe me. And I've had you know people come to my office and I show them, you know, show them the illustrations that we showed you in the previous presentation. And they look at each other and they say, well, what happens if he leaves or what happens if she leaves? I say, don't worry. If there's a divorce, your IRAs, your 401ks, your 403bs are negotiated in the in the just like the house and all the other and the kids and all the other possessions are negotiated so you 
as a spouse have some claim to your spouse's retirement accounts. And of course, that's for the lawyers and you to decide how it's going to work. And then there's the Roth IRA, anyone with earned income. Again, unless you earn too much, which we'll discuss in a little bit later, but you can still go ahead and contribute to it. Huh? Yeah, it won't wait. And then the Roth 401k, the Roth 403b. They are the same. They're basically the same, right? Except what's the difference? You pay the taxes now. You don't get a tax break now. But later on, the whole thing is tax-free. Okay, so here's an example. How are we doing for time? Not bad. You are working at your um, uh, company and they have a 401k. So you contribute via your, your paycheck $100. Now let's say you're in the 25% tax bracket, which actually doesn't exist right now, but it'll come back, but just make life a little bit easier. And let's say you're in the 8% California bracket, which probably wouldn't be unless you're at the top of the 25% bracket. But let's say, that's just for whatever. What's going to happen is you're going to get a 25%, 25% or $25 subsidy from the feds and an $8 subsidy from the state of California. Now, they don't write you a check. They simply take 25 fewer dollars out of your paycheck, right? Because that's your marginal tax bracket, the thing you wanted to forget back in Chapter 3 that comes back over and over again. And so you see a whole $100 goes in the account, and we're not even including any possible match. Your employer might give you an extra 50 bucks or 100 bucks. So you put in $100, you see $200 going to the account, but your take-home pay, your paycheck, is only reduced by $67. Now, isn't that cool? That is cool. I think that is very cool. And a lot of people don't even take advantage of it. What? Especially if there's a match, folks. That's free money. Who's going to give you a 50% return or 100% return on your investment in one day? Nobody except your employer because they want you to go away when you retire. And it's your problem now, not ours. That's why they're so kind to you. Right. Okay. Okay, Payana. What's the catch? There's always a catch. Well, actually, it's not that bad. You pay income taxes on the amounts withdrawn in retirement. But people in retirement are usually in a lower tax bracket. And so you might hear people say, well, you don't want to have to pay all those taxes in retirement. Eh, look, if your 401k is in the seven digit range, which some people's are, and you're taking out a whole bunch of money in your golden years and having to pay taxes on it, congratulations. You've done it. You've made it. I don't feel too sorry for you. It is a champagne problem. Oh, we have too much champagne. Whatever shall we do? And there are actually ways for you to donate that money and not have to pay any taxes on it. It goes right to the donation, but the, yeah, it's, a, it's a separate class, okay? Or a separate item. If you're interested in that, contact me. I'm not that familiar with them, even though, even though I know about them. And so you would want to talk with somebody, maybe one of our accounting instructors about that or whoever teaches the tax class. Uh, but it's easy. It's not that hard to do. Okay, so that's the one catch. You pay taxes in retirement. Oh, well, you, had, you didn't pay taxes on the way in. What about if you withdraw the funds before retirement? Uh-oh, right. They're going to smack your hand because that's not what you're supposed to do. You pay the income tax and you have to pay a 10% penalty. Now, in the next few years, that 10% penalty is waived depending on if you were affected by the COVID, I'm not sure. I haven't followed it as much. 
I should really look into it more, more, but not, and no one's asked me, so I haven't bothered to look up. There are exceptions for this 10% penalty. The first time home purchase, which means you haven't bought a house within the last two years, 10,000 of it can be used for your down payment. You have to pay the income tax, but you don't have to pay the 10% penalty. Higher education for you or your kids, medical disability, financial hardship, which my understanding is that the IRS is kind of tough to get it to it's kind of tough to get the irs to approve the financial hardship but i i've never tried so i don't know okay now let's take a look at a post-tax or after-tax example a roth ira let's say you contribute to a roth ira because Plan has been telling you how cool they are a hundred dollars what do you get from the feds <laughs> nothing what do you get from the state of california <laughs> nothing you don't get nothing bupkis your disposable income is reduced by $100, so why should you contribute to a Roth IRA? Now, you're going to do it, right? I, I told you you're going to do it. In fact, I hope you do it because the yeah, Roth IRA is very cool. And somebody, someone's going to ask you, why are you contributing to a Roth IRA? So why should you contribute to a Roth IRA? And here's the answer you give them. Because a Roth IRA is so cool. Because tax-free in retirement is a golden opportunity, folks. Comparing apples to apples, you can make, come up with situations where it would have made sense for you not to do it. But, but in general, no other investment choice comes close. Why? Because you pay the taxes now, fine, you get, over, get it over with. And then in retirement, that money is tax-free. Well, of course, you already paid the taxes on that. But all the earnings are tax-free and the compounding. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I think eventually the feds are going to get rid of them. I don't know when. It does. I thought by now people would be starting to take out gobs of money out of the Roth IRA. Maybe it's not happening just yet. But when it does and the politicians can't get their mitts on it, they might say, okay, no more new ones. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Plus... The other cool thing about your Roth IRA is you cannot, you can, I'm sorry, you can withdraw the contributions at any time with no penalty, right? It makes sense. You've already paid taxes on the contributions. That's your money. And so this makes the Roth IRA also an excellent intermediate term investment account. Purchase of a house, other high ticket item, great for college expenses. Why? When you filled out the FAFSA form, not the FAFSA, the FAFSA form, did they ask how much was in your Roth IRA or your parents' Roth IRA or their 401k or whatever? Oh, no. Right now, as the law stands, they don't look. The the uh, the federal, whatever it is, the financial aid people, they don't look at your retirement accounts nor your parents' retirement accounts. And so this makes it, in my humble opinion, a very good ch choice for uh, uh college expenses people will tell me will ask me should i make should i get a college account for my kids i say have you funded your roth ira yet and they say no i say do that first because what if your child decides to go in the army whatever or they um, they don't even they get a great uh, scholarship and they don't even need it so then uh, the roth ira is still your money i mean you, you yeah, you could do it in addition to that. It's up to you. But but I try to get people to say, you know, these 529 plans, they're great for people who have a lot of money. There's the college education savings accounts. But for the vast majority of us working grunts, no, put in money in a Roth IRA. 
But, okay, here's what I talked about before, and I know I'm going to lose you in just a few moments, but see if you can follow me on this one. We're supposed to tell people that the Roth IRA is not for everyone. That's what we're supposed to say, we financial representatives, but I say it anyway. Yes, it is. You just have to learn how to navigate the paperwork. You see, there are limitations on the Roth IRA's contributions. Not like the traditional IRA, where it doesn't matter how much money you make, you can still contribute. Only single taxpayers with adjusted gross income of 124000 or less in 2020 and married couples with adjusted gross income of 196 or less in 2020, and it goes up every year with inflation, can fully contribute to a Roth IRA. Hey, and if you don't qualify, again, congratulations. I don't feel too sorry for you. But here is the absolute truth. You can contribute to the Roth IRA anyway. If you find you've made over the limit, then what you do is recharacterize the contributions into a traditional IRA, which does not have the same limitations before you file your taxes. That's the verb that the IRS came up with. If you look it up, it's not in the dictionary, but the IRS came up with that verb. Recharacterize the contributions into a Roth IRA, traditional IRA, which does not have the same limitations. And then on the very same day, you submit all the paperwork at the same time. You convert the traditional IRA back into the Roth IRA. I know who voted for these bozos. Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> I've helped people do it. It's it's so ridiculous, but that's our tax code. We know it's broken. Can we fix it? We can't agree on how to fix it. So can we fix it? I don't know. We'll see. Don't hold your breath. But still, you can still contribute to the Roth IRA. All right. Now, this is very cool. Make sure that if you do your own taxes, don't forget this slide. You know, whatever. Put a note for you to, when you do your taxes. Or if you have someone do your taxes for you, make sure you remind them that you made contributions to a retirement plan. And hopefully the 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 um, the volunteer income tax, the VITA, will come back next year. And you make sure you bring the statement, end of year statement, which shows the contributions. It's a maximum of $2,000, but hey, still, it's nothing to sneeze at. If you and the, and the numbers are not that, you know, people say, oh, it's only for low-income people. I don't know about you, but $65,000 for a married filing jointly, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. You put 50 bucks a month into a Roth IRA at $600 a year, you might get $300 back or maybe, you know, $100 or whatever. So a tax credit is a dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction of income taxes. Very cool. Slide number 21. Here's the Roth 401k, the Roth 403b. Now, notice we put them in quotes because that's not what the IRS calls them. They just call them a 401k with after-tax dollars or, or post-tax dollars. But your employer does not have to offer this option. They can offer a 401k without this. It's up to them. And if they do, you can put your money in after-tax, which means you pay taxes on it now, but you don't pay taxes on that money when you retire. Now, here's the kicker. The contributions are pre-tax. Okay, so you, or you might have put in some pre-tax in one year and put in some after-tax. You have to keep track of that. Remember I said that about the, about the traditional IRA where you put in after-tax dollars as your contributions? Same thing is true here. Keep those end-of-year statements so that when you go to take the money out, the IRS doesn't say, oh, all of it's taxable. Right. This option is popular with workers in lower tax brackets. They don't need the tax break now. It's not as good as 
in my humble opinion, is Roth IRA because you can't pull out the contributions like you can in a Roth IRA until you retire. But if your company matches the contributions, eh, this is a hands down winner because again, that's free money. You put in a hundred bucks, they put in 50, they put in a hundred dollars, 50%, 100% return on your investment. Very, very cool. Okay. So find that out if your 401k allows that. And if your tax situation is such that doesn't really, don't really need the tax break now, take the Roth 401k, Roth 403b. And what I've done for what it's worth, because we had a 401, no, 403b and a 457, I've put the pre-tax money in there and I put the post-tax money in my wife and my Roth IRA. So I got, I got, I got two, 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 world, two different worlds. Okay, that's for what it's worth. You decide what you want to do. Slide 22. Our last slide for today is the anticipated sources of retirement income from the Social Security um, uh, Administration. And in this case, they put Social Security at 27%, right? About a quarter. And that's what one quarter to a third is what you should be aiming for. The pension, they're, they're saying, is less than 20%. But a lot of people don't get that pension. Uh, Part-time work, an IRA, a 401k, others, savings. So think of it as multiple places that you're going to be putting money away, maybe in your house. Some people... You know, you take some of the equity out of the house with a reverse mortgage. Ooh, I don't think it's a smart idea. As we said, watch out for the sharks. But make sure that you have um, not just one source of income in retirement. Very cool. Okay, good. Go back over and make sure you understand this. Because I'm going to ask you on the final exam. But more importantly, you now You've made it this far. You're the investment guru. You're the financial guru and wizard for your friends and family and coworkers. Very weighty responsibility. Very important. You can't let them down. Now, in our next presentation, we're going to, we're going to stay a little bit on the light side there and talk about something that's going on right now that we call the baby boom retirement time bomb. And people weeped and gnashed and beat their breath and gnashed their teeth over this. 20, 30 years ago, saying, what's going to happen when the baby boomers retire? What's going to happen when the baby boomers retire? Well, guess what's happening? The baby boomers are retiring. And it's turning out not as bad as we thought it was going to turn out. Are there problems? Yes, there are problems that we're going to have to deal with. And we're dealing with them. <laughs> Although you don't hear too much in the news because there have been other things that are pushing this, this uh, topic out like presidential elections and COVID. <laughs> okay. I'll see you in our next presentation, dear students.